and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Monday morning. I know we're off schedule, and it's just the way that it's joining me from Los Angeles, California, where he's working this week on NBA Today. It's Tim Bonteps. Hello, everybody. Since we last talked to you, you went from Las Vegas back to New York, back to L.A., like you're That's covering correct. the finals or something. Something. Or something. You're you're crazy. Joining us from Rexburg, Idaho, he's at the Sun Valley Media Conference, but staying in Rexburg, the Billionaires <laughs> Conference, staying on the outskirts, Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. Just here for a little family vacay, and uh, I am pleased to inform you that later today, for the first time in my life, believe it or not, I'm going to go horseback riding. Whoa, that's news. <laughs> Howdy, partner. You've just destroyed the brand. People think you walk around with your spurs and jingle and jangling. When they heard you were coming, they, you know, they had it all. They had your a cowboy hat all ready for you. Hey, I, I fully acknowledge. Texan I, I, ain't never been on a horse. Yeah, I'm the pace picante sauce of Texans. I was born in New York. But, you, know, you, you guys are the ones who who put this brand on me. Yeah, you uh, haven't embraced it at all. At all. All right. Um, thank you for coming on from your family vacation. Thanks to the tech department for letting you do so. Uh, okay. Well, the the summer league is mercifully ending. I think tonight, uh, Houston and Cleveland are in the championship of the summer league title game. It's going to be a Cam Whitmore versus Imani Bates showdown for all the paper Ooh. ring marbles. But um, so pretty much the off season is going to go into slumber here. Joe Cronin from the um, Trailblazers said it all when he said it could be months and months before they trade Dame Lillard. Uh, I think the league's going on vacation. There's no movement in James Harden. I don't think Harden wants to be a 76er, but I don't think the 76ers have gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. And no movement there. And Jalen Brown left the country. And <laughs> wherever the state of his contract negotiations are, um, they'll be frozen until he returns, which is, I believe, in quite in, you know, plurality of days. So the league is going to go into a little bit of a hibernation here, I suspect. So I think it's a good opportunity to sort of assess where we are with the offseason winners and losers. A couple of teams are in incomplete zone. The Sixers and the Blazers probably fit there. Maybe other teams, maybe Miami. But I thought we would just go down the line. And uh, first off, we'll go over with the uh, losers first, because that's always more fun. Wow. Always more fun to have the losers first, I think. Oh, Um, okay. I had, you don't I like had a that? winner. Well, I had I had a winner already in mind because I assume we were starting with them. So oh, you know, Bonson, right, we'll start with hey, no, no, Bonson, no, I can't. Mr. Sunshine, come on. I I got I got I, we can do it that way. I got an answer for both now, for sure. We're good. All right, well, McMahon, you can start with the loser while Bontemps thinks of his loser. <laughs> I have one. If McMahon doesn't, if you want, uh, no, to I'll, I'll, start. I'll start with the loser, and I don't think this will be a. Uh, a consensus opinion. I know certainly Las Vegas reacted favorably to the moves that the Boston Celtics made, but I thought that the Boston Celtics took steps in the wrong direction. Um, I, I thought that the Celtics giving up Marcus Smart is is something that is going to have a an impact uh, negatively on the, on the team's culture and you know all those sorts of things. You know the Grant Williams kind of had weirdly become a French rotation player, but they lost two really good defensive players. Um, I understand kind of the concept of Chris Tapps Porzingis, but I question the fit. Um, I think if you 
I just think defensively, it's going to be a difficult fit there. And then, you know, Porzingis as the clear cut third option. I, I, I just wonder how that's going to work. I don't think this is, this is not spreadsheet basketball. You cannot take the numbers that he put up for a non-competitive team last year in Washington and assume you're getting that kind of production in Boston. I thought they, they moved on from two guys who really had contributed to winning there and brought in a guy who has yet to prove that he can be uh, a, an impactful player in, in terms of wins and losses. Well, I mean, it was certainly, I would say that was certainly the most interesting move of the summer, the Marcus Smart for Chris Asporzingis trade, just mm-hmm. in a nutshell. Like we've talked about before in the pod, I can't really remember a lot of other scenarios where a team this good made that big of a swing in terms of changing their core identity. I think from talking to the Celtics, I think the things they would point to are when they went against switching defenses, they really struggled. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have not proven to be very good at overcoming those defenses at a high level late in the playoffs. They now have a true plan B in Porzingis, a guy that can give the ball to in the post who can attack switches in a way they really have not been very successful doing. I think they're pretty excited about that. I think from a talent standpoint, I think they upgraded there. I think there's some reason to wonder if Marcus is at around 30 years old, starting to mm. hit the wrong side on the age curve. You know, you could have maybe sold a year early on him. That said, I do still like that fit, like we've talked about for Memphis, because he's still way better than the guy that they replaced, replaced him with. But I think your point about the locker room and the energy around the Celtics is the thing that I'm most fascinated about with this move, because I think that could end up being what determines whether this is a really good or really bad move for them. And frankly, what's going to determine that is whether they win the title next year, because that's basically where they're at now. They don't win the championship year after year. It's seen as a disappointment with how close they've been and how how many games they've won with this group. And like you said, Chris Desperzingis has played 10 playoff games. That's a lot to put on a guy who's never been in those spots. And when he got asked about, you know, how are you going to, you know, do you think you're going to be able to step up and perform in the playoffs? He basically said, well, I got to see when I get there and prove that I can do it, which I think is an accurate answer based off the fact he hasn't been there. But it's also, like you said, you're putting a whole heck of a lot on that guy. On top of the fact, to your point, McMahon, but I don't do you lose Grant Williams. You're now down to steady, solid rotation players who generally were available. Mm-hmm. And you have four of your main seven rotation players in Horford, Robert Williams, Chris Stapps, and Malcolm Brogdon, who are hurt all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you've got the injury component of it, too. So, look, I think on paper, like you said, if you do spreadsheet basketball or if you look at <laughs> the way the the way the models, I think the models are going to project this year. The Celtics are going to be the best team in the league mm-hmm. with adding Porzingis and what they what they dropped off. I suspect that with Derek White playing more minutes, I, I think there's a decent chance Boston has the best regular season record in the league. But that doesn't matter. And they've fundamentally changed their identity in the playoffs. And to your point, I, I'm truly fascinated to watch them play because I have no idea if it's going to work. By the way, Derek White's a guy who they should extend this summer, should they not? But if they're not going to have if, if they're if not he's willing to take the money, absolutely. I mean, he yeah, might because, get a very healthy raise from where he's at. Yeah, because once they've traded Marcus Smart, they basically mm-hmm. said that Derek White's going to be our lead guard. Right. Um, I I know that Jalen Brown 
Well, he handles the ball. That's one way to put well, it. Derek, right? Yeah, Derek White's going to be their full-time point guard playing yeah. 35 minutes a game. Like that's, so, that was a bit, I think that was part of the calculus was clearing a path for him to yes. be a 35-minute player. So they extended Porzingis. They're trying to exchange Jalen Brown. My guess is that does not guess. I have a good feeling that that's going to get done eventually, that the sides have kind of dug in a little bit on the terms the the terms of the deal. I don't know exactly what they're going over. I can make a guess, but I'm, you know. The question is, my is the contract going over three hundred million? <laughs> my That's my true. educated my educated guess is it gets done and it does go over three hundred million. Yes, I think one of the possible contentious points is the player option. Yeah, because you know I think it's a reasonable possibility that Jalen Brown could get traded on this deal at some point, mm-hmm. and if you're going to get traded and you don't know where you're going to go and you're not going to have control because you're going to be locked in a long term deal you don't want to necessarily be quote unquote stuck at the place you get traded. So well, stick me somewhere. If that, that if you guarantee me, whatever, whatever, stick me in Siberia. Think, <laughs> and I think that's what the Celtics position is. <laughs> uh, I think that's the Celtics position. So they, so the addition to extending Porzingis, they got extensions that they have to deal with for Brown and white. Yeah. Can, can I get a couple? Th- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. What I would just say about the Celtics is, at the end of the season, there were a lot of people who thought Joe Missoula was in some level of trouble to the point yeah. where Brad Stevens needed to say in his press conference interview, he is coming back. And what I'm just going to say is not only was he never in trouble, Brad Stevens' biggest moves as the president of the team has been to lean into more of the way Joe Missoula wants to play. That's correct. Which is high volume, three-point shooting, and offense over defense. Mm-hmm. So they are absolutely headlong in to the Missoula uh, mindset. And the Missoula mindset is shaped by Brad Stevens too. So this is the way Stevens and Missoula want to play. And if they're going to go down and they're going to take a step back, and they're going to fail, just know mm-hmm. that it was the two of them in alignment going forward. Go ahead, McNair. A couple of things real quick on Porzingis. The lack of playoff experience. To Porzingis's credit, his first few playoff games, he got tossed from one of them, but it was in the bubble. He played really well in that first playoff series until he couldn't play. And he played, yeah, I forgot the exact numbers. He had a 30-something point game on a sore knee that ended up being uh, a, a meniscus that needed to be surgically repaired. Yep. Um, and then the next playoff series, the only other playoff series that he played in, they basically said, hey, I'm... Uh, Clippers are going to switch everything. You can't post up the Kawhis and Paul Georges and Marcus Morris's of the world. Go stand in the corner. And he stood in the corner and said, I'm going to be professional. I'm not going to cause a problem. God damn, I hope I get traded this summer. This is miserable. I hate Rick Carlisle. Rick got fired, you know, or not fired. <clears throat> Rick resigned before he got fired. He had another and, job. He went out and got another job and then quit. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, you know, Obviously, Porzingis ended up getting moved himself pretty soon thereafter. Um, It's really fascinating to hear, though, this, hey, it's a plan B. We can dump it down to KP in the post because one huge, huge source of conflict between Rick Carlisle and Chris Tepps Porzingis was Rick did not want him in the post. You know, there was that that night where Chris Weber's on the TNT broadcast and the whole freaking game Chris Weber is hammering 
uh, the Mavericks for not dumping the ball to KP in the post. Halftime show comes on. Of course, Shaq, oh, got to feed the big man in the post. You know, Barkley got to feed, you know, all these uh, 90s guys who operate in the post, they got to give him the ball in the post. And that's the game after that game. That's when Rick Carlisle had his famous, the post-ups no longer a good play speech. At yep. the time that season, Porzingis was averaging 0.54 points per post-up possession. Now, I I recognize that his numbers in the post last year were very good. And I believe they were twice. I believe they were twice as good as that for context for a point per possession. Yeah, they were among the they were among the best in the league. So, yep. um, you know, the fact that a team is confident enough to give him because he 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 told me like, hey, it's hard to be effective when you're barely down there, and then when you are, you know, you know, they don't want you down there. And then you know, the 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 thing when he was in Dallas. A KP post-up possession very often would end up him getting pushed out to like 16 feet, cashing it, and just a bad 40%, 42% turnaround face-up jump shot. I recognize that the guy has worked on it. And so I, I'm curious to see how those post numbers hold up in Boston, if that's going to be a featured attraction on a team that uh, obviously is going to be in a much different kind of spotlight than he was in the last year and a half in Washington. And I don't think there's going to be 10 of them a game necessarily. Right. But like, they just didn't have like, we, you know, we talk, how much if we talked about the fact that their offense was, did they hit threes or not in the playoffs, basically yeah. determined whether they're going to win games. Right. That was more or less, you knew, you knew the percentage of threes, the Celtics hit, you know, it's a win or a loss. Yeah. Now I think they feel like they at least have another option to go with, but yeah, like I I've been, I've probably more excited to watch them than any team I can remember in recent memory, just because of how much different they're going to be and the stakes that are on them to Brian's point, they have leaned so far into what Joe Missoula wanted to do. And so far away from what they were under Eme just a couple of years ago, when they mm-hmm. were this big physical defensive juggernaut team. Now they're, they're going to be, you know, bombing threes left. Or, I mean, Porzingis is a really good shooter, and you add him to this mix. Now you're gonna you're gonna be bouncing around. I mean, he's really good. I'm not saying he's Steph Curry. I see your face. He's I'd say he's a really good shooter as a big man. So you you you, you have to guard him out there for yes, sure. That's that's he can, my he can stretch the floor hundred percent. Yes. Yes. He's he's a he's a he's an unquestionable threat from the three point line the teams are gonna be worried about. Speaking so. of Steph Curry, did you guys see what he did this weekend at the uh, Celebrity Golf Tournament in Lake Tahoe? <laughs> Wendy, Wendy wants to cover golf so bad. Of course he does. Of course we got to send Wendy on some of these golf. But you know, seriously, yeah. on Saturday he made a hole in one. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. A hole in one, like in a tournament in front of thousands of people. I would say just a hole in one is pretty cool. Period. Let alone doing that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But it, uh, you know, in a tournament with thousands of people, pretty good. The IT department on, had a hole in one the other day. Are you serious? Mini golf? Yeah. But still is impressive. Hey, it was. I agree. I haven't had many. And then on Sunday, he wins the tournament by eagling the 18th hole. Two golfers on Sunday won big tournaments by uh, one made a birdie on 18. The other one made an eagle. Rory McIlroy won the Scottish Open making a birdie on the on the 72nd hole. Steph made an eagle. Wait, how did Rory McIlroy? Eagles like a step up from a birdie. It's a big step up. (laughs) What's an eagle? Two two under par. You got I suspect, it. I suspect when Steph is go. done playing, he'll be playing on the senior tour. So holy wow. Moses. That's amazing. That's a that's an interesting that's prediction. He's I mean, to make an it. eagle, to make an eagle alone is awesome. I have like five in my life. He oh, made an eagle oh, humble under brag, pressure. baby. Humble brag. Trust me. Steph made two in two days. <laughs> um, 
he did it under pressure to win a tournament in front of thousands of people. Bomb Tim, do you think Wendy's got a future on the senior tour? Uh, He would love to have a future on the senior tour. That's for sure. No, I would not. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay, Bontemps, you're a loser. Not your a loser, your loser. <laughs> but either way you want to taking take it. The, taking the McMahon uh, tack in the pod. I'm going to stay in the Atlantic Division to go with the Toronto Raptors. I think this has been the culmination of a few years of really rough moves for them. You know, they, they had an opportunity to trade Fred Van Vliet. They did not at the deadline in February. When no. they didn't do that, you assumed they were going to keep him. They did not keep him. He is now in Houston on what essentially is a two-year contract because the third year is a player option or a team option, I should say. When we first heard the news that he was signing a three-year, $120 million deal in Houston, 130, sorry. Rockets are, the Rockets definitely spent money this summer. My thought was, all right, they just blew the Raptors out of the water, paid way more than they were willing to pay. But if Fred only got two years of guaranteed money out of this, to me, you know, and we were both there with Fred. I asked him, you know, about having a fresh start. He seemed pretty excited yeah. to have a fresh start. And whether it's he was just ready to move on, whether it's Toronto wasn't willing to pay enough to get him to stay, whatever the reason, to me, it's sort of irrelevant. When you look over the past several years, the Raptors have had a lot of talent walk yeah. out the door for very little return. The combination of Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Mark Gasol, Serge Ibaka have all left. The only player left standing from that quartet of guys who were part of their championship team is Precious Achua, who's not a starter on their team. So uh, Nick Nurse, we can add to the list of talent that's left. Yeah, I mean, look, we'll see how we'll see how Darko does in his job as a coach. I, you know, you never know; he might end up being a great coach. But Nick was a really good coach that. I think everybody on both sides agreed it was time for a fresh start there, but that's also, I think, a disappointing outcome that you have a really good coach and everybody can't get on the same page to get that done. I think there's fault probably on both sides there for that. But at the end of the day, I look at this Raptors team. I just don't really know what direction they're going in. Now you've got OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam one year away from free agency. You know, there's a lot of chatter. You know, are they going to do something with Pascal Siakam? My belief would be no, simply because... They just don't trade these guys. And my assumption is they will not trade them again. But at some point, you have to look at what Toronto is doing and just go, what, what is the point of the path that you're on? There's yeah. not any there's not any any clear direction that's being taken other than just watching these players walk out the door and not getting anything back. So well, and then and- on top of that, just real quick at the end, 
you make this Yaka Pirtle trade last year. You then, I think, pretty clearly, although he's a good player, overpay yeah. him in part because you made this trade. Yeah. So now you have all this money on your books going forward. You lose Fred Van Vliet. You don't, you'd sign Dennis Schroeder to replace him. I don't think that's going to work. So the rat and the Raptors have a top six protected first round pick going that if they don't, if they're not in the top six, it goes to San Antonio, the Spurs. We've talked about a bunch, probably get to them later in the pod. They could be looking at getting another lottery pick this year from Toronto. And I would bet at this point, they're going to get probably the eighth, ninth, 10th pick in the draft from Toronto. So I'd forgotten. (laughs) I just don't, I just don't understand where the Raptors are going and what the plan is. Those, you know, Bobby Webster, Messiah Jr. Really smart. They've done a really good job for a long time, but it's hard for me to look at this. If you're a Raptors fan this summer and think things are, things are in a good place in Toronto. Is Pascal Siakam a 35% max player, like a $300 million player? No, but no, he's not. But that's why he doesn't want to be traded because he wants to keep open that possibility of being that guy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would makes, say it's in the same realm. If he makes realm, all NBA, he's, he's super max eligible. Is he a 30% max player? Like, uh, what would that be? Like two, what is that these days? Like two. Yes, he's, he's, he's a 30% he's max He's really, guy really good. Sure. Yeah, he's really, really good. Okay. I'm, I, I got to check his He's age. a great, he's a, he's a great player. I'll say this. Okay. If you think that's true, then you should sign him to a max extension right now. I agree. If you don't oh. think that's true, you should trade him right now. What are we doing I, here? I, but, and, and, I that, agree. and that's the thing, though. The, the, I think they should trade him right now because I think they need to, as Bomb Timps is saying, pick a direction. And I'll tell you, the one thing I do know about Darko, and we're not saying his last name because we're all confused on exactly how to pronounce it because we're idiots, but it, this man can develop players. Ask Desmond Bain. Like He helped Desmond, Desmond Bain turn into a guy who got a $200 million deal. The number 30 overall pick in the draft just got a $200 million deal. Darko's a huge reason why. You know, his roots, he was the old Tulsa 66ers before he was the Oklahoma City Blue head coach. I mean, he is a talent development guru. Rebuild and let him develop young talent. And look, you can get, I think you could, Indiana, I think is going to throw in, if, 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 you know, you can get picks, you can get some young players. Um, you know, I just don't know. I, th- I think Indiana could outbid Atlanta, but whatever. Like, you can get a nice haul for Pascal Siakam and build things back up around Scotty Barnes. That's the way this thing needs to go. I think what the Raptors management has, has proven is that they're really good at building and tweaking and then finding a way to get it over the hump and win that championship. That was some of the best front office work that we've seen in the last decade or so. So, but they've just been stuck in the middle for the last few years. Darko Ryakovic, by the way, is his name. That's right. Darko Ryakovic. I just couldn't remember. I couldn't remember what his last name was. I had to look it up. The J sounds like, no, it's real simple. The J sounds like a Y and the Mm -hmm. C, as we know from our Eastern European, all of our Serbian friends, the C makes a CH sound. Darko Ryakovic. Okay. Ryakovic. Ryakovic. You already said it. You already. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, it's it. very. It's very simple. Uh, except I just messed it up after saying it's very simple. I I, I double cross <laughs> myself. I double cross myself. All right. Anyway. Okay. So Toronto obviously could do something that could change them, and I so could this team that I think is kind of in the loser zone right now, and that's Philadelphia because they seem to be sitting on the fence in a way that I can't quite understand, and I admit 
I've said this before that uh, Daryl Morey has consistently over set. I think he became a front office executive with the Rockets in 2005. So he's been a front office executive for 18 years. He are not executive, but lead executive. Yeah. And he's routinely um, done things that have been strategically either ahead of the curve or very creative. Uh, people mm-hmm. um, uh, often associate him as sort of the father of the analytics movement. And certainly he was that as he was sort of the first analytically centered uh, lead executive, but he actually has been a godfather of the strategic movements. Uh, Basketball departments in the NBA these days kind of have two wings. They have a sort of a player evaluation scouting Mm -hmm. wing and they have a strategy wing. There are teams out there that have six, seven people in their quote-unquote strategy departments that plot values of picks. That's why you see like machinations of second-round draft picks six years from now. And you see um, teams that are like the lesser of the Memphis, Denver, Portland, second-round pick protected 46 to 55 in 2027 because there are guys in Mm -hmm. rooms hunched over spreadsheets and figuring out strategy and that's why you see these complex trades and stuff i think daryl's been the forefather of that not only with poison pill contracts he did the first reverse protected first round pick trade where a trade where, where a pick was guaranteed to be high as opposed to be protected to be low to be a higher pick than than from a lower pick you know he's done this so i sit here and tell you that i do believe that daryl's got something else cooking that said i don't know what it is and so as he sits here this summer the only guy that they've agreed to a multi-year deal on has been paul reed which was an offer sheet max <laughs> where they got poison pilled Right. Uh, although it's only one year guaranteed, it was a bit of a stick in the eye. It was a little bit of a little of a salty move from the Jazz, by the way, that, that Paul Reed deal. It's a three-year contract. Only the first year is guaranteed. The second year becomes guaranteed only if the team makes the second round of the playoffs. The final, the final two years become guaranteed, becomes yeah. a fully guaranteed deal. I'm yeah, sorry, you're right. Second round of the playoffs. So basically, it's like, you know, we know you can make the second round of the playoffs and that's it. So here, we're going to put that in the contract. Well, you know, what's funny about that is one of those original poison pill deals was Omer Ashik and, uh, you know, signing with the Rockets. And, you know, Daryl worked on that with an agent named Justin Zanuck. He's yep. now the Jazz's GM, so it's yep. <laughs> it's one of those things. Hey, remember well, when we worked together? I guess this is for you now. Yep. Yeah. So okay, so I Daryl's got something cooking. They're not extending Tyrese Maxey, and so they're in position to have cap space. They lost the minivan. That makes you a loser just in and of itself. Bang bang niang. Yep. Shake Milton no walked away on a one year guarantee. Right. Shake Milton walked away on a one year guarantee in Minnesota. So they've they've weakened their supporting cast. They've allowed it to get weakened. They've put the way they negotiated with Harden soured the relationship. I'm not saying that it can't be fixed because I don't believe that it can't be. So that, that that's all happened. I don't think you can possibly say that they're better. Mm-hmm. And for them to in, if, if they keep Harden, he's either likely going to be disgruntled. And even if they <laughs> well, even polite. if they even if they get to a place where they come to some detente in 
you know, mid-August when they realize that the best opportunity for both of them is just to bring it back, which is like what happened with Durant last year. Let's say they have a Durant type. Uh, I think that's know. the most likely outcome. So let's assume that happens. And how did that work ultimately with Durant? Okay. It, it, you know, one little bobble, one little issue that you have where Harden doesn't feel like he's being treated well or, or hurting his future or any potential or whatever. And you're, you're undercutting your brand new head coach. That no, situation no, no, has no. been. No, they're at the white party with he hard went to the white party with him beating Tobias Harris. Everything's cool. Don't worry. Right. Good to know. So I'm just saying, like, that's that relationship has been soured. <laughs> yes. Um, so that would that's whole thing wasn't done well. If they make a trade, maybe they'll get assets to make another trade, but I don't see how they're making a trade and getting a player that's equivalent of the production of James Hart. No, I especially well, the only way it is is if they turn Harden Maxi into Dame. That's the one wow. way that that would happen. Yeah, they said they're the, not trading Maxi. Well, so like I said, so, there's there's one way that that could happen. We'll see if it happens. My assumption is it won't. Okay, and, and, so I mean, how can I look at the Sixers and say, "Good job, guys"? I mean, maybe the other shoe will drop in in twelve months, and Daryl will do his uh, his victory lap, which he's done many times. And I'll say, you've done it again, old boy. But I, I don't see how I can call them their situation being a winner right now. Well, in the last time, the last time that Daryl had a, you know, a really high profile guy who wanted to be traded, obviously he was patient. He played the waiting game and he ended up moving Ben Simmons, um, which, you know, at the time was, oh my gosh, Daryl did it again. But, you know, he, I, that trade was a win because they got off of Ben Simmons' contract, but they gave up, I believe, two first-round picks in that deal, got back hard in which, look, the production on the floor was a whole lot to barely any. So it's a win of a trade for Philly, but it's not like it, you know, that trade did not deliver the Sixers to the promised land. a huge difference there. This point. That situation was put onto the Sixers by what happened with Simmons. Right. This is a situation that the Sixers put themselves in. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure not. Somebody- I'm not. I don't think that's. I don't think that's an accurate. I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of what happened. Well, I think some people they was- negotiated the contract with Harden last year, knowing that they had to renegotiate this summer, and then when it came time to negotiate this summer, they yeah. obviously put them. They their strategic uh, moves. Well, arrived uh, at this situation. Uh, James I, Harden I, feels double crossed by a guy who has essentially worked for him for the vast majority of his career. If James Harden, if James Harden had opted out of his contract. Okay. I think he would have gotten paid a very healthy amount of money because he would have had control over the situation because the Sixers would have had to pay him because to your point, Brian, they had no other option to replace his production and they would have wanted James Harden to be there and be happy. James Harden decided to opt into his contract. That is why we're in the current situation that we're in right now waiting to see what happens here because he ceded control of the situation to the Sixers. That is the part of this. I will never understand. Yeah. Well, and and I, I'm going to say that we understand what Harden's track record is when he wants out of somewhere and the level of effort that he puts into getting out and the lack of effort that he puts into playing basketball. So, well, even play- if he comes to the camp with a, with a mindset to play one bad weekend could change yes. it all. Is what I'm right. saying. And we and, I, and we've we've seen that. But real quick, as brilliant as Daryl is, as much as he has revolutionized the way that basketball has is done 
in the NBA, his biggest weakness has always been just a complete no bleeps given about chemistry. And yep. that has blown up in his face before. Like we can go back to, you know, the the Dwight Howard uh time in 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 Houston. Like that 41 and 41 Rockets team was one of the biggest failed chemistry experiments uh in in recent NBA history. But you know, that's why like Daryl might not, he still might be like, listen, James will be fine, we'll figure it out, everything. And that's just that's a huge risk. And and I and I think that again. Daryl just has never cared about chemistry, and that's been the biggest legitimate criticism about him. Yeah, I agree completely. I also think that that's why James Harden's going to be on the team next year, because I think if you look at the market, there is no trade for James Harden where they can get anywhere near James Harden's production back. And because James Harden opted into his contract and cannot extend, he has no agency really in this situation. Now, you can oh, he say does. he can... Well, uh, hold on again. Like we've talked about before, I don't think this is anything like the Kevin Durant situation. James Harden already is a guy who I think is seen as damaged goods as far as wanting to pay him a lot it's of not money. Like Durant, because Durant had had four years on his contract, and Durant was also a far better player. Well, Durant James has always Harden, been a better player. I understand. My point is, I James Harden is Harden at one MVP. James James Harden is at a point where if this year is a disaster, or he just doesn't play, or it just is sabotages the Sixers season. He ain't walking into a ton of money next summer. Like yeah. th- that's where that is where I think. Well, that is a heck of a game to play, and that is a situation the Sixers have put themselves in to play well, that game to well, do that arithmetic. That that's okay. like you may not be wrong, but that is not a place well, to listen, be. And if you've got Joel Embiid sitting there in his prime, I'm not and trying to say this. That's what's hovering over all this is Joel Embiid, and if this thing gets screwed up. What are we talking about next summer? That's look, the that's the thing that really matters in all this. I agree completely. And look, I, my point is, I think James Harden has to play and play well this year to get paid next summer, in my opinion. So I do think that is a carrot the Sixers have to hang out there, say, come back and play well this year, and then you can get paid next summer, wherever that may be, if you don't want it to be here elsewhere. Now, I'm not saying it's a it's a bit of a risky game to play, obviously, for the reasons you guys laid out. I just do not I do not think this situation from that standpoint is the same as when he was in Houston getting traded to Brooklyn or in Brooklyn getting traded to Philly, because in those scenarios, they had teams sitting there saying we want to have James Harden on our team, making all the money, being the guy. Well, that's not the case now. I think the counterpoint to that from Harden's perspective is, yeah, I've got to play well this year to get paid and I've got to play well for a team that would have my bird rights and be interested in using them. I understand. Right? But right. again, if, this is why James not Harden, Philadelphia get me somewhere where they want me. That's I right. need the that's LA right. Clippers. Well, again, this is why right. if James Harden, I'd opted out of his contract. I think he would have gotten paid a whole lot of money this summer. That's where I don't have a lot of sympathy for the James Harden position. I don't have sympathy for James Harden at all, but that doesn't change the fact that the Sixers are not in a good spot. And I'm telling you, I have well, been trying to, to to push down anybody who tries to talk about the Sixers uh, last season. They were this close to being in the finals, in my opinion. Yes, and I would they could say have been in the finals. This team I, is not that far away. I and they've I, gone backwards. Well, I would say if they're they've lost one of their top eight players, and they lost their eighth guy, the minivan, who we all love here on the pod and was on the pod and is great but they have their top seven guys back 
I think you can argue they're going to have an upgraded coach, especially in the playoffs. We'll see. Doc Rivers has done a great job the last couple of years. Tactically in the playoffs, he's had some issues. We'll see if Nick can improve there. I think that there's a scenario where they're sitting there at the end of the regular season with this group and they've got a top two or three record in the East and they're right there again. Now they have put this on a more rickety foundation than it was a year ago. And I think it there's definitely the potential for it to go very sideways. But I think when you look at what they've actually done this summer, the other stuff I think is sort of irrelevant outside of George. They've their top seven guys are all there. They're all under contract. They're all on the team for now. See what happens with Harden. They still have time to make other moves. And as of now, they'll go into next summer with the ability very clearly to have two max salary slots to do a lot of stuff around the roster. Now that sets up the question where we could, I think this could play out like a Damian Lillard situation where we look ahead a year from now and James Harden leaves. Let's say he even plays well this year and they lose in the second round again or whatever. James Harden leaves. They then have some mediocre free agent signings next summer or whatever they do with their cast base isn't great. And then Joel Embiid's looking there saying, hmm, all right, I'm on a team that's like the fifth best team in the East. That's not really great. Well, and then what happens? The Celtics think that they are better. We we are debating whether they are or not. I actually think that they could be pretty potent, but I agree that it's a risk. But the Celtics think that they're going to be better. The Bucs should at least be relatively. We're going to get to the Bucs. The Heat could have Dame Willard by October. Yep. Top of the East is tough. Yeah, tell me you're and you're and you're and you're arguing, even if it's a re- relevant argument, the the 76ers with the axle barely hanging on have spun their wheels at this point. I'm not trying to say to- I'm not trying to say it's like it's been a winning offseason, to be clear. I'm just I right. that I just the only thing I say about it is I just I think James, the James Harden situation will be very interesting because I think he has a lot less leverage on every way than he's ever had. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays that. That's okay, our winners, Bontemps, you go first. Uh, Bucks. I think the Bucks have not been talked about at all. I think they have had. I think they've been the winner of the off season. I understand they had to pay Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez a bunch of money, and they're older players. But at the same time, one name we have not talked about all summer is Giannis Antetokounmpo, and that's because this this team has kept its core together for next yeah. season. They obviously had a very bizarre exit from the playoffs. It was at Game Five. You know, certainly it was. Very strange to see them blow 15 point leads in the fourth quarter of game five and game or game four and game five of that series. However, I think to me, the Bucs should be one of the two or three favorites to win the championship this season. They get Jay Crowder back on a minimum deal. Thought that was a really good deal. They get even adding Malik Beasley as a roster guy who can come in and bomb away from three on a minimum deal was good. But the key part, you that get was Chris low Middleton key back. Lakers shade there, big man. He wasn't on a not, minimum deal in LA. Yeah, he, he wasn't was on a minimum deal. I know. I'm just saying, you know, if he had been on a minimum, LA, very nice. Beasley, yeah, busy on 16 ain't so great. Well, I mean, look, like we <laughs> talked about, you could, I think you could argue that it would have been better for them to have those giant expirings to trade. I know. I'm, they I'm not, I wasn't right. just having a little fun. Kiss the bucks, anyway, don't get sidetracked with the Lakers. Middleton, Middleton and Lopez back with the team. They remain championship favorites. I do not believe Giannis Tedekupo will extend this fall, as we've talked about. I think we all agree on that. But the Bucs have in either the best or one of the best teams in the league. And because of that, there's no discussion about what Giannis is, where Giannis is going to play or what's going to happen with him. So I think that has made them a very massive winner this offseason. Yeah, the that only discussion good. about where Giannis is going to play is if he'll play for Greece in the uh, World Cup, because he did. Boy, have I a... would be pretty surprised if he yeah, did. I would, yeah, guess, the answer, little... I would guess the answer to that is no. 
Yeah, recovering <laughs> from a little knee surgery. Um, I tell you, because it, I, I agree that you have to give them some credit because it did appear that it was pretty likely they were going to lose Brooke, Brooke Lopez. The, the Rockets went hard after Brooke Lopez, and, and maybe that cost the Bucks uh, millions and millions of dollars. I'm sure it did. How would he end up signing for two years for 48? I want to say two for, yeah, uh, two for 50. Yeah, two for 48. Like, sorry. Two yep. for 48. Yep. Um, but I'd much rather pay Brooke Lopez two for 48 than have a gaping hole in the middle of, uh, of, of your defense. And, and by the way, they're not even well, at the honest, second apron. They're, they're yeah. less, they're 14 million over the tax, which is a lot of money, but it's not, it's not an insane amount. Like they're, they're in right. decent shape with that. But they can they can look Giannis in the eye and say, "Hey, we are still championship contenders. We still think we've got a really good chance." And you know, you don't have to worry about any of the any of the drama this year. McMahon, your winner. I'm going to cop out and say the San Antonio Spurs. Um, I think it's a cop out. It's a real. It's a good answer. I mean, they they they're obviously being extremely patient. They use their cap space to kind of, you know, to add a second round pick here and there with, you know, taking money and and, and that sort add of a, thing. Add a certain first round pick swap several years out in the future. That could be Boy, pretty juicy. We, we, we've talked about that. Like the Mavericks did pay a, a potentially significant price given the 2030 pick swap unprotected to the um, to the Spurs. But like they just I'm got sorry. a pick swap from the Suns, too. Yeah, they're, they're pick swapping. There's, you know, second rounding and all these kind of things. But. I'm sorry, when you win a lottery to get the best prospect since LeBron, you're the you you won that offseason, right? And obviously Wimby's first summer league game wasn't the best, but dude, this guy's gonna be really, really good. Now, is he going to be all-star as a teenager good? No, probably not. But like, is he going to give me a, the over under at 10 all-star appearances? I'll take the over on that. And I, 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 we've talked about, I would have been very tempted to be a little bit more aggressive going after just kind of your vet run the team types. Um, You know, Monty Morris is a guy who, who I mentioned several times that obviously was available, Um, but they're going to give Trey Jones a shot here. And I like their young players as complimentary pieces around a potentially generational superstar. And, and, you know, the Spurs went from this little run of complete irrelevancy to now being one of the most intriguing, if not the most intriguing young team in the league. All right. I think uh, the they're still going to take it on the chin a hell of a lot of nights in the West. They're going to um, be bad this year. I, yeah. I mean, they're going to be one of the four or five worst teams in the league, which like, is but fine. That's okay. It's totally okay. Pick to the mix. Yeah. It's totally I'll be okay. interested to see. Um, Number one, I'll be interested to see how much television, national television, the TNT and the ESPN are willing to a go lot. with Yama. A lot. Early on a lot. Later on, probably not that much. I bet I bet he gets as many national TV games as Zion did his first year, which was a lot. Two, I'll be interested to see what tact the Spurs take with their in-season moves because they now have a bunch of expiring contracts. I think yeah. they've got like nine or ten guys on expiring contracts. They've got a plurality of picks second time I've used plurality and do they go big game hunting or do they continue to flop it backwards? Because I'm not so sure being a cap space team is all that exciting next year. Do they go big game hunting with what they've got? Because they will be able to enter bidding wars for players. And now 
Like, you know, I don't know how serious Dame Lillard was when he put the Spurs on their, on his list. Probably not that serious, but that is something to take note of. Yeah. But you know what? That that's funny to me because it's like Dame obviously is determined to win a championship now. And the Spurs will be ready to potentially win a championship when Dame's at the end of this contract. Well, it is so, interesting that he would walk on Scoot Henderson to, to try to join Victor Wembanyama. You think that their timelines are roughly the same? Well, I mean, the we one can debate rather, about the one ceiling. rather the one rather significant difference there is that Scoot Henderson and Damian Lillard are the same position, and Wembanyama <laughs> and Damian Lillard are not. So. I understand. I understand. But still, in theory, they could play together. I don't like that, but they, you know. Well, sometimes uh, I think Vic thinks he's a point guard. <laughs> he does like to. He does like to create off the dribble. That is going to be something that is go- they're going to have to manage. It's going to be a it's going to be <laughs> yeah. a it's going to be a bone of contention. I think that is very clear. I think this year they're willing to kind of let him, you know, test the waters, and then it's something that might be refined as he goes. Maybe more hoop collective podcast after this. All right, so I want to uh, honorable mention the Houston Rockets. They were in a rough spot and they basically just spent their way out of it they put well, a did huge they offer there. actually yeah they, they got a lot better yeah lot did they better. actually they got they are a much better team than they were i don't are they know actually than very many teams in the western conference yeah i mean this version yeah, of the they're, they're a lot come on come on Bob, they're a lot better team. no but, okay but, better team. but okay i'll give you portland a post name i'm gonna even give you the spurs i think that's the end it. Which other teams in the West are you going to tell me confidently that the Houston Rockets will? I'm not guys, guys. Honorable mention. Okay, I'm just saying I don't think they actually got that much better. I think Fred Fred Van Vliet was a terrific fit for them in terms of what they need in terms of growing this group going forward. I don't think they're going to be a lot. They signed an all-star point guard. Yes, they signed an all-defensive player. Now they overpaid. They overpaid. The Van Vliet at least was they only signed an all defensive player. It's an interesting way to frame to frame that other signing. Is right? he not an all defensive player? He is. Excuse he me. is. Excuse I, me. All defense. They signed an all defensive player, which they overpaid on. Okay. They won a bidding war against um, themselves. Wait, wait. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giving them a gold star for negotiation. I said they overpaid to get themselves out of the situation. They signed an all. But, I, but what? I guess my question is, what talk. situation did they get out of? They got out of being one of the worst teams of the last decade. Yeah. They are in phase two, right? <laughs> that's that's Tillman Fertitta's term, right? It sure. was a three-year rebuild plan. The three years are over. They're in phase two. His expectation is they compete for a postseason spot. I think that's going to be difficult. I think if you're uh, a, a Rockets fan, the most exciting thing about this offseason is Amon Thompson's got the potential to be a star. Cam yes. Whitmore at 20 has potential to be a steal, right? My um, vote for Summer League sum- MVP. I was going to say potential Summer League MVP. Jabari Smith Jr., the little bit we saw of him in the Summer League was like, okay, he's really, really, really looks like he's ready to take a step. So, you know, you put Jalen Green, they Alpe overpaid Shagun, for, like they've got, they over, they've got a nice young. They overpaid group. for Jeff Green too, but that is a no. good addition. Chuck Landale. Well, I mean, they did a I'm lot. I was excited about that, summer. but to be clear, I think the young guys, the Ahmed Thompson, we talked about it. I love what I saw from him at summer league, the game he played against Scoot. He looked like he's, he's got a ton of potential. He's a really exciting player. Jabari to Tim's point was great in the two games he played. I watched them both. He looked awesome. It was really nice to see him take, 
honorable mention. I know. I'm just yeah, pointing no, out my only put my only pushback on what you're saying is I don't know what situation they got themselves out of because I think it's far more yes, likely they got out of being they're still going to be one of the five worst teams in the league this year. No, I think honorable mention is appropriate. I also think that's where they'll be when it comes to the play-in standings. All right. Honorable mention offseason for Cleveland Cavaliers, who upgraded their rotation without having a lot to a lot to do with Max. I would just Struis. call them winners from where they were at. They got it. They did as much as they possibly honorable could. Honorable mention done. winners. Honorable mention. Honorable mention. And I got the, the Phoenix Suns. I mean, that's kind of a little. I knew, I, I knew, boy, Wendy just. Their I, third I'll tell you star. What. He just, they went we got to, hey, I want to see Wendy's mortgage payments. I think he might be getting a discount from Matt. I here. think there's little doubt. When he said, when he said the Cavs were not clear winners, I knew where it was going. No, I said they are honorable mention. Yeah. On, on the big winners. That means I they're had the Cavs. Winners. I would have had the Cavs. He, he, he's paying like 1.2% right now. You guys are both negative, are both negative, negative 1.2% more likely decreasing. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, Well, you know, I always had a great relationship with Dan Gilbert. So me and the Detroit mortgage guys, we go way back. Well, me. listen, if you don't like Dan Gilbert, that's step one to getting in with Matt. Yeah. Well, Matt and Dan Gilbert are like the spider men meme. So exactly. Um, their, their temperaments are different. I will say that their temperaments are different, but anyway, also they're, they're not exactly the same. Anyway, they're in the mortgage <laughs> business, but they're not quite track. in the same business. <laughs> All right. Anyway, they, their third star, they went from Chris Paul to Bradley Beal. Is that a win? That, that's a win. And we've talked about, I mean, maybe a really good job in the minimums market. Like it is hold what on. it is, but they, they hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. You say maybe Chris Paul to Bradley Beal. I'm not talking about like their contract. Is is Bradley Beal gonna is Bradley Gill Beal gonna become the guy who is an all NBA caliber player again? Or is he well no, but I'm just saying if he if he plays this year and he's you're taking the you're taking the position that that's not an upgrade. Is that the position you're taking? Here's the position I'm taking. If Bradley Beal is not better this year than he's been the last two years, going into the first year of a $200 million contract that includes a no trade clause, yeah, that's a problem. That's what I'm yeah, saying. I agree. The contract is a problem. Nobody's that. Nobody's doubting that. I'm saying they went 250 from, million. Fair, fair point. I'm saying, by the way, it's his second year of the contract. Well, that's why I was sitting at $200 million left because that's what you kept talking about. Anyway, that's my that would right. that could be a problem for these. All right. with no their their, their first minimum player last year was Tory Craig. Now it's Eric Gordon. Is that an upgrade? Yeah. Yes, that's an upgrade. Assuming Eric Gordon is still at the level he's been in the past, which I think is a reasonable bet, though he is in his mid thirties. I'm dragging him kicking and screaming. No, I look. I think the Suns had a the Suns had a fascinating offseason. I it's got a ton of risk and a ton of reward in it. I, I, I think it true. is. I think it is an immediate win, and it better be a big immediate win because we've talked about the long term. But as far as did they get better since they got bounced by the Nuggets? Yes. All right. We'll see how Frank Vogel operates. We'll see how like these minimum signings while everyone's praised them, including me, you know, that not all of them are going to work out. Right. They also have 11 minimum players on their team, which yeah, tends to which, not work out. I agree. Hey, when you I have agree. three max, that, that's life. Well, I know they, they also, they max. also talk. Let's four also, max. That's right. Let's also now. call a spade a spade. <laughs> they've talked big about spending money and they've also pretty aggressively moved to spend less money over the well past and week. they keep on like pushing more chips to the table these little let's get second round picks so we have some kind of trade kindling moves where they're giving up pick swaps down the road uh you know i think 
Bobby Marks basically said, like, you know, they're they're running on credit now. And, you know, it's like these high risk credit moves like, dude, they their first round draft capital. Is, is it all gone now? Moving? I mean, like, they can't trade it. They can't trade any of them. I know, but I'm saying even well, they, they've, I think they've also, I mean, you could always trade, you could always trade more swaps. You could say no, we're going to do it again, but I, I don't think they can. I think they're out of swaps. Well, the, the swaps they're trading are second swaps. They were already picks. They'd swap with somebody else. And now they're swapping with a third team. So yeah. you could in theory keep doing that, but they're already getting fairly marginal second round picks, even on this second swap. I mean, they're going to get hardly anything if they do it again. They have five right now. They have a $6 million trade exception, a $5 million trade exception and five second round picks. That is essentially Andy Andre Ayton, which maybe someday he'll get traded and that will be a significant yep. trade. That's what they've got sort of sitting there to work with. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to lead to. So here's Bobby called it. Uh, Phoenix is borrowing a line of cre- a, a line of credit against other NBA teams at a high interest rate, and yeah, twenty four they've already swapped on twenty five is Brooklyn's twenty six swapped on twenty seven is Brooklyn's twenty eight swapped on twenty nine Brooklyn thirty swapped on. I mean they are hey, but we haven't talked about Bull Bull baby. <laughs> I like Bull Bull. There's something there. Uh, nobody seems to want him very much, but there's something there. Well, that's the thing is that he's he's been on four teams in like three years. And it is so, one of those things like when the Magic are giving him up, just basically dumping him. Like that's weird. Well, look, he's a he's a flyer. They're taking a flyer on. He did look. I didn't watch the Magic last year. You all have to talk to Zach Lowe and John Hollinger. And he's a very you know, talented player who did some nice things for them last year. They also cut him yes. and they didn't have to. So I think <laughs> right. that sums up. I think that sums up the ball situation. There you go. Okay. Well, those are our winners and losers. I'm sure we're everything we just said is going to prove correct, especially bond tubs. <laughs> Often does McMahon get out to the grand Tetons. That's uh, the plan. Bond get over to that studio. I think we're going to have a podcast for next Monday. I think. So thanks for sticking with us. Thanks to Jackson, our producer. And we will talk to you next week. Get out to the golf course, Wendy, and adios, amigos. I played the last two days. (laughs) 